Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. All right, well, today is uh, a good day as any to receive from God's Word. And so today we're back in the Gospel of John, this time in chapter 5, and discovering who He is so that we might increase our faith and entrust ourselves to Him fully. And so you can find the sermon notes and resources in their usual place at thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes. But I want to get right into it because we have lots to do this morning. And so if you have your Bible... I'm going to get you to turn to John chapter 5, starting with verse 1. And so here, Jesus heals a man for a unique purpose. And so I believe that purpose is to demonstrate that he, Jesus, is the eternal Son of God, the one at the beginning through, all, all, through which all things were made, that Jesus. And in him, we are new creations, finding new rests and coming into new life. And so based on this merit his equality with God, he confronts us with a lofty truth in John 5. And this is the big idea for today's teaching. I'm just going to give it to you right now. It's quite simple. Listen, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of all. Amen? It's easy to say. But the Bible proclaims this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, all things, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is at the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, that in everything, in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is the Lord of all, over creation, over culture, and every creature. And this truth radically reorganizes how we make sense of the world the rules, and our story. And so let me show you. John chapter 5, verse 1. Here, Jesus performs a miraculous sign with an individual man at a specific time and place. And so let's read together, starting in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. 
Now that day was the Sabbath. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd gathering in the place. Afterward, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we dig in, will you? Join me in prayer. Lord, we are here to meet with you. Not so the world would change, but so we can. And I believe that our growth is in our meeting with each other and with you. And I ask that this truth in your word would penetrate deep within our hearts this morning. Reconstructing, reorienting, and renewing our lives. And so now we just, we just say ahead of time, we submit ourselves to your creative and powerful word. We thank you now for it. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to tell you a story. The other day, I finally signed up for a gym membership in year, for the like first time in years. I don't know why that's funny. Um, it's first time in years. So, right, usually for the last couple of years, I've been running outside um, and that's been like what I've been doing all year round. Uh, but Dom and I, we value our health and doing things together and meeting our neighbors. And the gym is one place we can do that, like enjoy each other's company, date night, meet new people. And so we signed up for a gym together recently. And when you sign up, they ask you to uh, refer some friends to the gym, basically rat out a bunch of friends, right? And if you do, you get a free water bottle. I wanted that water bottle so badly. And so I wrote down the names of five friends for them, and it was mine. And I tried to think of five close friends I could annoy and who hate working, at, working out at a gym, you know, those kind of people. And so a day or so later, I get a call from my friend Corey, and he tells me about this call that he received from the gym manager. And this is what happened. Corey was driving in a parking lot just before he received that call. Then out of nowhere, he gets sideswiped by a bus. True story. Can you imagine that? And at first, he's a little rattled, and then understandably so, the rage just begins to set in. And wouldn't you know it, just as he's getting angry, that's when his phone begins to ring. It's the manager of my new gym. And this is how their conversation goes. She says to Corey, Hi, Corey, my name is so-and-so. So, so um, how are you today? And Corey says to her, Well, like I just got hit by a bus. <laughs> and after a short pause, the manager awkwardly laughs and says, You're funny, right? But Corey, my friend, clarifies, No, I literally just got hit by a bus. <laughs> and so the line was silent for a moment. And the manager said, maybe this is not a good time to call. I can call you back another time. I mean, have you ever been in a situation like that? Parents, dad, 
wrong time, wrong place, wrong person. And it's like a perfect storm. And, you know, when things like that happen in that perfect combination and the tension is there, it can be a really revealing situation about ourselves, about other people. In the same way, in John 5, Jesus reveals himself to us in a powerful way by showing up at a specific time, place, and with a specific person. First of all, Jesus comes to Jerusalem at a particular time. John bothers to mention here it was during an unspecified Jewish holiday or feast day. And, you know, scholars argue whether it was the Passover or just the weekly regular Sabbath celebration. One commemorates God as the deliverer of the Israelites out of Egypt, and the other honors God's institution of the seventh day rest after creation. In both cases, God's people were called to keep it holy, to, to set it apart, For who? Well, for the Lord. And this is when Jesus shows up during a Sabbath. But why wouldn't John be specific about which Sabbath, which feast? And I want to suggest that Jesus is not challenging the observation of just one Jewish holiday or tradition, but to confront all of them, to offer himself what they were trying and intending to offer, especially as we find out later the Sabbath itself. And that's not it. Jesus comes to a particular place. Jesus enters through the sheep gate on the north side of Jerusalem, and near the gate there's this place called Bethesda, a pool of water. And we have a picture of it today. This is what it might look like. Now, this pool has a lengthy history of healing for pagans and Israelites alike. Why? Because occasionally something would happen to the water. Someone or something would cause the water to move or bubble up and stir. And at one time, the Greeks dedicated this pool to Asclepius, the god of healing. But you may notice in your Bible that verse number four is missing. Take a look. Why is that? Well, that's because in the earliest manuscripts, it didn't include verse number four, which was an important footnote explaining the pool that sometimes has been added in your Bible later. And this footnote explains the tradition you know, Jewish take on these healing waters. And so for them, they believed that the angel of the Lord would go down to the water in certain seasons and stir the waters, and whoever got to the water first would be healed of their diseases or whatever their malady was. Now, so for better or worse, Greek, Roman, Jew, or otherwise, sick people would flock to this pool for just a chance, just a chance to be healed. And some had been coming to that pool for longer than others. And it's here that Jesus finds him. Jesus finds a particular person. Jesus approaches a man at the pool who John describes only as an invalid. So what we know is this. Either by injury or disease, this man cannot walk. And guess what? This man has been coming to this pool for 38 years. Can you imagine that? 38 years. You're so sick, you can't even walk. But you're just so desperate that you will do anything. And so you come to this pool year after year, and just maybe, just maybe something will happen. Soon finding someone to take you to the pool and put you in the water when it stirs is hard to do. Years passed, and you made the pool your home, relying on the kindness of strangers to live. But you have nobody to help you into the pool. If Maybe, just in case, maybe 
I could be healed. Now, every time the water does start to move, you try to drag yourself in, but someone makes it first or you get trampled over. 38 years of that. And now you just seem to watch your life pass before you. I don't know about you, but I've felt that way before. And maybe you are suffering something and you wonder where God is. How could there be a God when there's all this suffering? And you're so desperate that you go to all these other places to find what you're looking for, but it's not working and you're despairing. If only I could do this. If only I had that. Only if somebody would do this for me. If only. And so let me tell you this morning, Jesus knows. Jesus knows what you're going through. And he is always working. He is the creator. But this is even better. He is also compassionate. He knew what this man had been through and it was time for something new. So what did Jesus do? Did he hang around hoping that this sick man would come to him? No. Jesus initiates. And Jesus goes to him, and he doesn't mince words. This is what he says. Do you want to be healed? Could you imagine that? And the man's got to be thinking, that's why I'm here. I've come every day for almost 38 years. And these familiar scripts begin to run through his head, over his lips, and out his mouth. If only I could get in the water. If only someone would put me in. And he keeps looking at this pool and for other, uh, at other people for answers to this problem in his life. And it wasn't doing what the man had hoped it would. He wanted to be well, but he went looking for help in all the wrong places. And that's when Jesus said, those resurrection words. That's when he spoke life into the man's sick body, strength into his muscles and bones, just like he did when he spoke the world into being. Get up. Get up, take your bed, and walk. And so the man didn't really know who Jesus was, but he recognized authority when he heard it. And so in a moment, he believed and he was healed and he grabbed his bed and he walked. He didn't ease into it. It didn't take days for his atrophied muscles to regain their strength after three decades of illness. He just walked and he was instantly healed. And so Jesus, the Son of God, does in an instant what the pool stood to do but did not for decades. Listen, church. This man in this story didn't realize who Jesus was, but we can. And so I want to point out three assertions that we observe in the text. Three spheres where Jesus proclaims that he is the Son of God and Lord of all. So first of all, Jesus is the Lord over all creation. Jesus and Jesus alone. But let me ask you, how often do we look for something only the Creator can do amongst creation and creatures? You know, Paul says in Romans 1 that although we knew God, we did not honor God and give thanks to Him, but we became futile in our thinking, and their foolish, our foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, we became fools, and we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so therefore, God gave us up into our lusts, in our hearts of impurity, to the dishonoring of our bodies among ourselves, because we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. 
Amen. See, the relationship we had with God gets mixed up. He isn't always the first person we turn to. And when we go to creation or creature, for what only God can do, we elevate them above God, and they always lead us to ruin. For example, just for argument's sake, let's use smartphones as an example. If you have a smartphone today, I want you to pull it out. Don't act like you don't have it out already. Uh, and pull it out and put it up here. Yeah, got your attention now. Okay, pull it out. Yeah, smartphones. Think about it. It's like having infinity in your pocket. Instant access to endless information, explanation, and help. Just look at that phone. And it's almost instinctual now. What do we do when we need something? Where do we turn? We pull out our phones and we search Google for the answer. Don't we? See, this is not a rant against social media or technology, but it does demonstrate our habits, doesn't it? It illustrates our response in times of need. Can you think of all the ways we turn to creation and created things? And I'm not just talking about God's common graces like modern medicine and indoor plumbing. I'm talking about things like maybe we turn to money. Just a little more will make me happy. Maybe we turn to sex and relationships. If they just loved me, I would be whole. Maybe it's travel, your health, or your good looks. Maybe you've gone to some trickier places, exploring elemental spirits and new age practices. Maybe you've turned to your abilities and your accomplishments, trying to be good people, worthy of love. Where do you turn in your time of need? And the truth is that when we turn to created things for what we need, they deliver less and less results and ask for more and more sacrifice until there is nothing left. Isn't it true? And some of you have been there, I can tell, and I've been there too. This man at the pool had spent a lifetime looking into an empty well for living water. And like that man at the pool, sometimes we too are coerced into trusting created things instead of the creator. Listen, only Jesus stands to do what creation can only promise to do. And that's not all, friends. Jesus doesn't just want to have priority over how we make sense of creation. He wants to be Lord over what we make out of creation. He wants it all. So the second observation is this. Listen, Jesus is Lord over all culture. Since the very beginning, God said, let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over the livestock and over the, all the earth and, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then later, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Since the beginning, friends, we have been creative cultivators. We bear God's creative image in us taking what he has called very good and having dominion over it, subduing it and multiplying it. And this is what we call culture making. Things like agriculture, horticulture, language, government, the arts, faith, and more. And each people group, us included, Canadians and subsets of Canadians have cultural artifacts, the fruit we grow. 
rituals, words, dress, music, how we order time, and the list goes on and on and on. But history has shown us that people are cultural-making creatures, for better or for worse. Andy Crouch, the author of Culture Making, says this. He says that God's people aren't just aimlessly creating culture by making something out of God's creation, referring to the creation story, and he says this. In the biblical view, culture is not simply something we have made up on our own. God was the first gardener, the first culture maker. As in Genesis 1, he asks us not to do something fundamentally different, but rather to imitate him. In Genesis 1, to imitate his creativity and gracious dominion over creation. And here in Genesis 2, to imitate him by cultivating the initial gift of well-arranged gardens, a world where intelligence, skill, and imagination have already begun to make something of the world. In other words, what we create as believers should mirror the, mirror the quality and intent of what God has created. But the question for us today is, have we properly recreated and cultivated God's good gift. This is what I'm getting at. In this story, I don't think Jesus thinks we have. The, the way Jews of that time practiced the Sabbath did not reflect God's vision and intent for it. How they ordered their time and observed the Sabbath rituals assumed that Sabbath practice was about pleasing God rather than enjoying His grace and good gifts. What had become of God's time and God's day? Let me show you what I mean. Picking back up, verse 9, John 5. Jesus heals this man, ex nihilo, out of nowhere. And John tells us, now thus, that was the Sabbath day. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. See, John says that this day was the Sabbath. In the beginning, God created the world and everything in it, and the scriptures teach us that on the sixth day, he looked at all he had made and said, oh man, this is good. Then he ceased from his work, blessed the seventh day, and made it holy because he rested. And so this is the basis we have for Sabbath, Genesis 2. Later, this example became a commandment. God then commands Moses and the people of God to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. See, God gave us the world, and then he gave us the Sabbath. And since then, Jews and Christians have cultivated the Sabbath differently and with different interpretations. And so at the advent of Jesus' birth and in his lifetime, the Jews had come up with many cultural interpretations of what it means to rest and what it means to work. And so the dominant rabbinical tradition at that time had created a culture of legislation. That's a funny word, isn't it? Legislation around work and rest. And at this time, carrying your bed and healing someone were big no-nos. And so together, this man and Jesus had done both. They broke the rules. And so what began as rest for the people of God and the God of rest was now a source of what? Anxiety. Was this the image of God's creativity and grace? No. Did it bear the marks of the God of rest? I don't think so. Has the Sabbath become more about legislating and controlling behavior instead of a way for the people of God to enjoy the good gifts of God? I think so. 
And so if you recall, um, in the Gospel of Mark, there's this story about Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field. Maybe some of you know it. And while they are traveling, some of his followers are just hungry, so they pluck some heads of grain uh, as they went, and they start eating them. And there's some Pharisees nearby, and they see this, and they just lose their minds. You cannot harvest grain or work on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, and this is important for us today, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's Mark 2. See, Jesus, friends, is a Lord over all cultures. Even how we recreate and cultivate his good gifts, like how we order and enjoy time, even over the Sabbath, God is not tired. You realize that, right? God is not tired. And if the Sabbath has nothing to do with the grace towards his people who do need rest, that is the gospel, by the way, rest, it is not the Lord's day. So let me ask you, have you ever judged someone for their Sabbath practice? I have, <laughs> to be honest. Has the Lord's time become our time? Has it become more about doing than it is about giving attention to God and sharing His grace? And less about receiving and delighting in His good gifts? Has it become the rule at the expense of the exception? Has it radically missed the heart of God and limited His work? I'll let you think about that. Jesus is the creator of all things, the true rest for our souls, and he is Lord over it all, creation and culture. But what he wants most of all is all of us. So finally, John demonstrates that. Third observation, Jesus is Lord over all of our lives. He's not satisfied with creation and culture. And his initiative with this man shows us God's compassion and desire for us all. He runs after this man twice. See, Jesus gets out there before he's entangled in an argument over the Sabbath with the Pharisees. And John says that Jesus withdraws because there's this crowd forming. Where does he go? Well, he pursues this man into the temple. Jesus wants more than just a chance to heal his body. He doesn't want just to restore his body. He wants to create something new in him, a transformed life. So he says to the healed man, see, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, let's step aside for a moment. I think it's really important. Um, I know what some of you might be thinking. Here Jesus makes a connection between a man's sickness and his sin. And I think it's important for me to point out that sickness can be caused by sin in both a general and individual sense. That's true. The Bible teaches us that creation suffers under, all creation suffers under the tyranny of death because of sin. And if you think about it, sickness is but a stage of death, isn't it? Sickness is but a stage of death that came through sin. But here's the thing. We see the connection between sin and sickness in this man's life in other places, we'll see no connection at all. In, in, for example, in John 9, we encounter a man that Jesus says is blind for no reason at all. It's not his sin. It's not his parents' sin. Nobody sins. He's just blind. And maybe that's because of the fall. He's blind because it's a stage of death that came through sin. And the point is this. 
Sin can be a cause of sickness, but not always. And it's not something we can always be sure about others, but it is something we need to discern in our own lives through the work of the God's Spirit. Amen? Can we agree on that? And so now that I've navigated you through this theological aside, here's what I don't want you to miss. When Jesus brings up this man's sin, he looks past his physical needs and into his soul at this man's massive spiritual and eternal need. He's saying, yeah, I am the Lord of creation, the Sabbath, and I just healed you, but I want so much more for you. So much more. Listen, there are worse things than being sick if you can believe it. And Jesus wants to bring us new life, a new way of being, a transformed way of thinking and living. And I find, I find this interesting. I find it interesting that the healing didn't help this man realize Jesus was Lord. Isn't that interesting? Could it be that healing is not always the way Jesus becomes Lord in our lives? Often, it is when things don't go our way that we learn to trust in him, isn't it? Listen, I've seen miracles. I have seen people be physically healed. And once my body was healed by a touch of God that I'll never forget. But lately, Dom and I have been experiencing a experiencing a much different miracle in our lives. And it has been one of the most beautiful experiences in one of the most painful seasons for us. So let me tell you, my wife, Dom, and I, uh, we lost our first child to a miscarriage about six years ago. And that was before we carried three more beautiful babies to term and introduced them into this world and into our family. And our children are miraculous gifts. It is a miracle. They are passionate people, and they teach us things every day. It is my pleasure and honor to be their father. But we didn't think we were done yet, and so we kept trying. And so in the past 12 months, we have suffered four more miscarriages. And now we're at a crossroads where doctors call uh, recurrent pregnancy loss an unexplained condition where sometimes parents cannot carry to term without medical intervention, and even then, the chances are a maybe at least. At best. Maybe at best. So you understand our situation. And I know some of you have been there too. It's surprising how many have shared this journey. And I don't want to downplay the incredible pain of losing a child at any stage of pregnancy. The pain is real, and me and Dom are right in the middle of it. And we're not alone. I know that there's people in this room who are on that same journey with us. I'm thankful for that. But I do want you to know that I'm not saying this so you'll worry. Because God has used our deepest pains to create and cultivate some of the most beautiful faith in us. And at its best, and, and, and this is the best, most honest example of Christ's lordship in our lives right now that I have. We do not have baby number four. We aren't healed or delivered from whatever this is. And we don't know if we ever will be. But we do know that Jesus is Lord. He could heal us. He could help us or change our circumstances but I think he's been doing something deeper and more profound in us. 
So as we close this morning, I want to turn it to you and let me speak to two groups that are here today, I'm sure of it. Those who are struggling, struggling and those who are in the middle. First of all, for those fellow strugglers, I know how hard it is to let God be God. What does this man do in the text? He walks away from Jesus. And then he rats him out. <laughs> At first it almost seems funny, but the more you think about it, it's really tragic. This man walks away from Jesus, and he gives his name to the Jewish uh, officials. But listen, this is important. We see that Jesus is divinely sovereign, but we are responsible we can surrender it all, or, and he can create something new in us, or we can just walk away. And see, this man's story doesn't end well, but there's a little bit of him in all of us. And let me ask you, is Jesus Lord of every area of your life? Will he be the Lord of your entire lives? See, when Jesus confronts our relationship with creation, culture, or um, even with him, the creator, how often does he win that fight? Listen, if you struggle to let Jesus be Lord, please don't spend your lifetime, please don't spend your lifetime at a pool like that man. Don't live your life looking for living water in empty wells. Don't spend your life trying to do all the right things and follow all the rules. Spend your life trusting in the power and the mystery of the creator of the universe, Jesus. Spend it that way, because he wants so much more for you. Second, some of you are still in the middle, just like me and Dom. The situa situation is open-ended, and you're right in the middle of it, and maybe you're hurting, struggling, need help, or need healing. And if that's you today, this is my encouragement to you. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He can do anything, anytime, but what he does is up to him. And I believe he wants to do something far better in you and I than we can even imagine. So be encouraged, because Jesus says here, my Father is working until now. And I am working. I am working. No matter the day, the creation situation, the culture, who you are, I am working. And you might not understand it, but God is working. So let's just think about it together for a moment. Let's close our eyes. I want us to think through this in prayer, in a, in a, in a posture of prayer. God, we're going to we're going to talk to you now, ask you questions. See, God can do anything, anytime with any of us, but he wants to do more than we can imagine. So how is he working? This is what I want you to think through and ask God about right now. What is the Lord creating, cultivating, and reviving in us? Lord, what are you creating, cultivating, and reviving in us right now, our situation, our life. What are you doing, Lord? What are you creating, cultivating, or reviving? Follow-up question, Lord, how can we let you become Lord of our everything? Everything. 
in everything you are preeminent, Lord. How can we live that truth? So Lord, we just proclaim this truth to uh, our world, our community, to ourselves, to our souls. You are Lord of all. And this truth radically reconstructs our plausibility structures, what we think is possible. It reorients our cultural practices, what they are even for, their purpose. This truth renews our devotion to you, whether through healing or suffering. When we realize, Lord, if you can help us to realize this, that you can do anything, we can lean into your mystery and expect to be surprised by your power. Help us see that, Lord. Jesus, we confess that you are Lord of all. We admit that we haven't always given you all of ourselves. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have been complacent and compromised. We haven't always trusted you and placing our trust in things or people instead. Forgive us. And so now we turn back to you, Lord, and ask that you transform our lives into something new through the creative power of your word and your activity in our life, Holy Spirit. We love you. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.